Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on March the 25th of 2019. I'm Nick, here alongside Chris, uh, and I'm invisible right now. It's okay. Don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. It's still me. I'm not dead uh, yet. I, you know, I'm astral projecting. Just think of it that way. You got the sheep talisman. Yes. Oh, oh it's so or nice. possibly a millennium item. I, I, I forget what the millennium items do. They're all very nebulous, honestly. Yeah, the scales <laughs> are the ones I'm like, do you do anything? Who has you? Uh, I prefer, I, I pass judgment. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's cool and all, but like, can you like, you know, is there another personality inside of you? No, There's only three of them do that. I'm like, to be fair, a lot of these already kind of pass judgment. Everyone seems to have the ability to do these punishment games. Uh, hold on, Nick. I need to draw a card right now. You can't see it, but I actually have Yu-Gi-Oh no, cards, and I actually got fingerless gloves. Uh, and so I'm could properly. Yeah, and I'm doing the two fingered uh, draw, and I'm gonna fight you with Galaxy Eyes Cipher Blade Dragon. Okay, your move, Nick. Well, um, I'm pretty sure you can't summon that card uh, just by you know playing it on your first turn from your hand like that. So I don't believe. I win by forfeit because you cheated. So uh, yeah, no, we're we're playing under early Yu-Gi-Oh rules where <laughs> you, you just was do cool. whatever Takahashi can think of. Where there was nothing that <laughs> really stopped you from doing whatever you wanted, and the game was super lame. <laughs> oh, we're talking about Yu-Gi-Oh today, guys. This is something that's uh, been a long time coming, not just for like Wake Manga recap, but because the Yu-Gi-Oh manga has been basically the big blind spot for me in terms of my Yu-Gi-Oh knowledge for forever, mm-hmm. uh, ever since I discovered the series. I remember back in the day when, you know, like uh, English Shonen Jump was still a magazine, uh, seeing a couple of chapters in like a friend's magazine once. But that's like almost the only experience I've ever actually had with Yu-Gi-Oh! Manga before we started covering it for this recommendation. And here we are now to talk about this bizarre series. Because it is a bizarre series. It is. It's really strange. And in fact, it's, it's interesting you, you say the word bizarre because uh, reading this, you could very easily see that Takahashi is very inspired by uh, Araki and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uh, just in terms of having these weird scenarios that the characters get into, all the weird, crazy poses that they kind of do. Uh, there's and the intensity level. and conviction with which they do horrible things, horrible and yes. weird things to each other. <laughs> there's so much to say. And look, there's a lot of this series that we cover because we, we took a look at essentially what is um, actually it's actually a good point. Uh, to specify that everything we read, we read, uh, you know, using the Shonen Jump Vault, uh, which you can get with just a Shonen Jump subscription. So if you're interested in hearing us discuss this and you're like, I want to read Yu-Gi-Oh! again or anything like that. Just well, you can just $2 a month, yeah, then you, you can get access to every single Yu-Gi-Oh! chapter that's ever been released. And every single spin-off manga that Yu-Gi-Oh! has ever released, you can do with the manga versions of GX, 5Ds, Arc 5, Zexel... 
Uh, I'm sure Vrains, whenever that gets a manga adaptation, you can read that one too with a subscription. Uh, as well as Yu-Gi-Oh! R! And all three sub-series that Viz decided to split uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh! The main Yu-Gi-Oh! manga into. Which is actually a very useful way of actually kind of like pacing yourself through it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really do like the way that they did it. Because it's like, this is the stuff before uh, what happens in the anime. And this is the stuff at the end of the anime that you don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we read through Yu-Gi-Oh! what's called Yu-Gi-Oh! Duelist, which covers the entire Duelist Kingdom and then Battle City tournaments. Uh, and right. then Yu-Gi-Oh! Millennium World, which handles the actual plot. Uh, gets that kind of pushed out of the way. It's amazing, if you, it's amazing how much of the series, like, actual important events can just be, like, covered in those first and last 50 chapters. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of it's just like, I mean, this is where all the card playing happens, but it's like, does... How much of importance actually have? Well, I mean, each big arc introduces a millennium item, I guess, but <laughs> it does. And I suppose that does progress us forward. But there is definitely something. Look, we've we both watched the Yu-Gi-Oh anime as it aired. And, it, you know, it's no secret that we have like these very cherished childhood memories of it. I, I say childhood. We both were probably like. 12 when we started Pre, watching it. Pre-teen and teen years, let's yeah. say. yeah. Uh, but we have those strong element, uh, memories of it. And obviously reading it is, uh, this, this manga is a way of kind of uh, getting back into it and enjoying it. Uh, but really, what this experience has been has reshaped so much of the context you now have for the series. Not just in terms of like, oh, now I understand why attacking the moon to destroy all of your water, leaving your monsters defenseless, was actually far more true to the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga than, like, any other conclusion to a duel in the series ever. But also you're like, holy shit, my perception of Kaiba is massively changed. And at first you're like, ah, he's kind of just an asshole. And then you're like, no, he's a psychopath. <laughs> he just gets he's the redemption a- arc later on. He is a, a he is a basically a sociopath to start things off. Um, I mean, it's probably the part of the series that was interesting to me reading through it was the way in which parts of the manga that were before the card game, uh, what do you want to call it? Yu-Gi-Oh, the card game, uh, dual monsters magic and wizards as it was originally called uh it was originally for those of you who don't know because everyone kind of you know now knows of Yu-Gi-Oh as you know the series that is about the card game of the same name mm-hmm. everything is resolved through card games in the original Yu-Gi-Oh manga everything was resolved through games uh, it's amazing how much people want to play games in this series, but that's just kind of like the world that people live in. You know, they resolve their differences through battling it out through these games that often are just made up on the fly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, sometimes it's, you know, like a game that exposes someone's flaws. And sometimes it's just like, here's a board game that Kazuki Takahashi 
made half the rules for <laughs> and didn't really take into account that a game would actually have to be balanced in order to in order to be made. It was like, it, that's not the point. The point is that you spend three chapters on this one game. Yugi wins it and that's it. Mm. You never are supposed to see it again, which is why the original card game is so completely broken and why they had to backwards engineer it in order to make it into a proper trading card game. There's a moment when he's playing capsule monsters or or monster capsules. I I think it's capsule monsters. Capsule monsters. He does a move and you're like, like Yugi's getting a shit pushed in. Because like on the surface, you're like, this game is horrifically designed. It's essentially a gumball machine way of battling creatures that have a number scale between one to five. Five being the strongest, but also being the rarest. So Yugi's side has like, one one four i think and then all the rest of things are ones and twos and everything on mokuba sides are fives and fours and if a higher number comes across a stronger or a lower number it just automatically wins and you're like yeah mathematically looking at it there's no way you can win he'll never beat a five and this now hold on a moment there mokuba it turns out that i have the powers of pulling moves out of my ass it's like (laughs) didn't you know if this one star lines up in a diagonal pattern it kills all monsters it comes across you're like why is that a two-star monster (laughs) i'm like like you want to raise your hand like judge (laughs) why didn't they write anything about this on it all I did was open the egg and I saw a dinosaur. How was I supposed to know that it has this like fucking oh your your thing moves like a bishop and murders everything in its wake? I mean there are certain parts of it that I think are that I are cool in concept. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, you know, it's like a combination of a collectible card game and chess. They keep calling it like capsule monsters chess. You know, you can move your monsters in a certain pattern and each of them has different strength. It's like, OK, that's a cool kind of gimmick for, you know, a game. Not in addition to monsters having different strengths. They also have different movement paths. That's cool. And then, yeah, he just pulls out. like, Yes, I know that this is a weak nothing of a monster, but it also has this one turn kill ability that Mokuba should definitely have known about if he's the local champion or what the hell ever. <laughs> yeah, the, the fucking National Grand Prix capsule monster champion. Uh, there, also, by the way, Mokuba, way more of a little bastard than in the anime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He, he is a super big prick. Uh, and and reading that part gives you so much more context for why after the Duelist Kingdom arc is done, there's like three episodes spent learning fucking dungeon dice monsters. And you're like, why are we watching this? Because this is what they like, would do all the time. You're like, oh, this is what Takahashi seemingly wants to do. He's like, I'm done with the card game. Can't we play dice now? I made up three-fourths of the rules for this. I actually, like, you know, put effort into how to design this one. It's like, yeah, but it's lame. (laughs) I'm sorry, dude, but it's just, you know, way more satisfying to be like, I summon a strong monster and then power it up with a spell card. That's the only thing that he thought of is like, you have monsters and you have spell cards and use the spell cards to make your monster stronger. That's as far as he thought the original design of the game through. I would be curious to see at one point if there were any card games that did inspire him in some oh, way. Sure. I think that uh, Magic the Gathering probably inspired it to a, to an extent. When I mean, did when did you uh, the manga start? 
1995. Okay, so yeah, that actually would have been right there at the same time. Because they do <laughs> mention that the card game it's, expi- it's inspired from is from America. So mm-hmm. it does make sense. Yeah. And, you know, so many monsters and using spells to enhance them. It makes if you consider it in that perspective, like early, early Yu-Gi-Oh is much more similar to Magic the Gathering than what Yu-Gi-Oh actually became with the more different card types and stuff. But anyway, um, the thing that that really got me as I was reading, uh, especially the early parts of the series, because. Once you get into the Duelist Kingdom onward, it's kind of like just, you know, it was more just recapping for for me or not recapping, but reliving the series like, OK, I've seen all this stuff and a lot of it is kind of what I expected it to be, you know, just uh, a much darker, uh, less. I don't want to say less cheesy because this is a plenty cheesy manga, but less kid friendly kind of version of events. Uh, with much more insidious, just psychopathic characters yeah. uh, throughout. Um, imagine if you've ever, you know, seen like, you know, season zero of Yu-Gi-Oh! Imagine taking that, you know, kind of tone and applying it to the bigger series. And that's kind of what the manga is like. There was almost nothing that happened in the series that, you know, really took me by surprise. Like, oh, I can't believe that happened. Although I, there was a surprise in the sense of I could have sworn that Johnny Steps was a filler character. No, he's in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the early parts of the series, it's interesting to see how certain events and character interactions uh, from the anime, the second a- anime uh, were taken or inspired from those early parts when the card game was not as big a part of the series. Mm-hmm. Like there's this whole big arc, uh, not big arc, but you know, 12, 15, 20 chapter arc introducing, uh, Bakura to the group. And it's a long drawn out miniature role-playing game version of the duel that Yugi and ba- or Yami and ba- Bakura have where the gang get put into their favorite cards. Instead, they're put into miniatures and they have to go through this RPG uh, with their souls on the line. Uh, so that whole thing is like, OK, inspires that part of the anime. Uh, the big uh, side arc uh, that served as a filler during the middle of Battle City where, you know, you learn about Kaiba's past and how he got adopted and stuff is like, well, there that, that's from the manga, the the entire way that he, you know, got adopted and r- rose to prominence in the company and stuff like that. Nothing about some, you know, little blue haired, you know, brother that he had, but whatever, you know, the, <laughs> well, the, the whole relationship between himself and Gozburo is like it's from the manga. So uh, it was interesting to see that it's like how much of the early parts of the manga, the anime was later able to draw inspiration from. Uh, in order to create other stuff. And I think that that kind of, uh, you know, shows that shows more of like, a, oh, it turns out that there was more. There was less that they just made up whole cloth than you would think for these filler bits. Yeah, there, there's a lot of small stuff that definitely has changed. And it's kind of cool seeing the stuff in Duelist Kingdom in particular is where a lot of the big changes are. Uh, like just the very notion that Joey and Yugi don't duel in it. 
Like that was there was a whole giant fight that they had in the manga or in the anime that you're like as the finals for the duelist kingdom for who would fight mm-hmm. Pegasus. And there was always kind of this conceit that you as an audience member had where you're like, I mean, I know Yugi's gonna win. I don't for a moment buy that Yugi's gonna win to be like, sorry, Joey, I'm keeping the prize money for myself. Looks like your blind ass sister's just going to have to get used to it. <laughs> you should have like, you know that you're like, no matter what, he's still going to give him the money. And the manga just does that. It's just like Joey beats Bandit Keith, who, by the way, gets fucking murdered afterwards. <laughs> like He doesn't in, show up as a rare hunter later. <laughs> in one of the most brutal scenes in the manga, he gets punishment games for his finger to turn into a gun and kills himself. It's fucking hardcore. But like you, Joey beats Bandit Keith and then he's like, I did it. That was essentially my finals. Like, good luck, Yugi. Thanks. You're giving me the prize money. Awesome. And then they just go right into the fight with Pegasus. And I'm like, that's way better. <laughs> like, that makes way more sense. Like, like, why would why would we fight each other? <laughs> yeah, <there was> this, <laughs> like seven episodes in the, the fucking anime to be like, why are they fighting each other? They're friends. Uh, no, it turns out, Joey, that when you used your time age, it also powered up my monsters. <laughs> and this is bullshit, you. <laughs> God damn this fucking time mage and its nebulous power set. <laughs> also, it doesn't really make sense. You flip a coin with the real one, but it's got like a one in three chance of of getting you at the roulette. But it always seems to work when I use it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and there's other small stuff, too. Uh, Tristan, you you honestly, you, you read the the manga version of Duel's Kingdom, you're like, why is he a character? Because there's not even, like, the Rex Raptor quasi-subplot thing of, like, him and Joey kind of having to fight, but then their monsters symbolically power each other up to help him, like, get an advantage. <laughs> they don't even, they're just like, fucking, it's gone. Who cares? <laughs> he, he does nothing. The whole fucking thing. He wears a cheerleading headband, and that's it. And then you're like, yeah, no, I'm very okay with this as well. <laughs> this is another f- strong decision by the manga not to include this. Uh, Although much uh, um, better character in early parts of the manga than the anime. Like if you watch the anime, it's like, what the fuck did Tristan even do? <laughs> and then if you read the manga, it's like, oh, he's like a smarter version of Joe, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think my favorite change at Duelist came to bad, uh, if only because it made me have to look but like try to stop to remember it, is uh, they still do the fight where... Yugi has to fight someone who's using Kaiba's deck as in kind of like a fuck you thing. And in the fight, I was like, yeah, all this is reminding me of the fight that they had. It's it's like a ventriloquist puppet instead of the normal thing. Uh, but right. it gets to the instead point the where ghost clown guy. <laughs> yeah. So you, you get to the point where he the guy summons blue eyes and it's going to kill Yugi. And, but in this one, the blue eyes dissipates because Kaiba wo- has woken up. And, like, the soul of the blue eyes vanishes away. And you're like, oh, right. okay. And I was like, As opposed to how did they do that in the manga? <laughs> it's like, yeah, he, he hacked the program to lower its attack. And I was like, this is stupid. And then, like, the second time he couldn't lower it in time or something like that. But then he went, Yugi! And then it just blows up. And he's like, it seems that Kaiba called out to the blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you bullshit artist. <laughs> I think, here's the thing. Just put an equip spell on your Dark Magician. That's all you need to do. What are those? I need room for more beaver warriors. (laughs) 
How will I put Gazelle, the mystical king of beasts, in my deck if I have equip spells in its place? Did, is this when you have the fusion that turns it into like a monster that can at least kill some? No! <laughs> I don't even have Buffamut yet! <laughs> no, polymerization is just reserved for lightning my mammoth graveyard into things and slowly killing them. Um... <laughs> No, but I, I, I honestly forgot about that <laughs> because your blue eyes ultimate dragon is not an undead type. It's it, it it's it makes everything that's duelist kingdom so much better because everything now makes sense. When you watch the cartoon as a kid, you're like, I get that he was making it up at the time, but none of these rules make sense. So like. All Especially the because at so the weird. same time, you're looking through the, the game and you're like, oh, these cards do what Yugi's do. <laughs> yeah. And then you you see how this works. You're like, that doesn't make sense. And then you you read the original part and you're like, of course it doesn't. Because none of his chapters like resolutions make sense. The, the, the entire kind of premise of Yu-Gi-Oh! the manga is like, Yugi either wins by dumb luck or just by outright cheating at times. And there's like a point, like one of the earliest fucking things he gets into is like, I challenge you to a game where we both roll a six-sided dice. Whoever rolls highest loses. And if we tie, you automatically win. I'll start. I rolled a six. And the guy's like, I don't want to fucking play this game, but I can't lose. So fuck it. Throws dice, hits Yuki in the face. He's like, there, I won. Get out of my face. Yuki's like, mm-mm. See, the dice broke in half when it hit my face. You rolled a seven. <laughs> Punishment game. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> Stop this for a second. Now I'm going to curse you to be constantly under an illusion or some other bullshit that will get you killed. My 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 absolute favorite is there's a very long you talked about earlier the Bakura like Dungeons and Dragons game and there's so much craziness that already happens in it. There's a moment where Bakura takes over and stabs his own hand through a spire to keep himself from rolling, but it all comes down to the final roll and then in this. Uh, basically, rolling low is how you actually succeed. So right. uh, Bakura's like, I dark Bakura's like, I roll, and he gets a double critical, and they're like, you lose. Bakura's like, no! And he like transplants himself, his soul into the dice, and the dice explode. And he's <laughs> like, your dice are gone! No dice, no rolls! <laughs> Looks like you lose, idiot! <laughs> and he just... and Bakura's like, that's bullshit! You saw the result that it was! Oh, fuck! I don't see a dice anymore! <laughs> Like, what what double one? I don't see a double one. Like some dude, like he could, like he was just scrambling to get the other dice, like, well let me just roll again or something. Like <laughs> Nope, 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 no mulligans. <laughs> I'm just going to assume you roll double hundreds. Oh, don't you know? If your dice explode, you lose the game. If the dice explode, we have to presume that all seven sides came up at once. Yeah, and you're like, this makes so much sense when you get to like, oh, I just launched my Gaia the Fierce Knight into the flotation ring of your castle, thus dropping it all on all of your creatures who are stuck behind the yellow luster shield you put up. Obviously, that's the chain of events that wins me this. You're like, this oh, makes perfect sense. So, according to Takahashi, uh, he had originally been playing to use dual monsters like twice 
in the series. Both times when Kaiba shows up, the first time he just shows up for a short little story where he tries to steal uh, his grandfather's uh, rare blue eyes white dragon. He ends up stealing it and like cheating to use it in, in his duel against Yugi. And then it doesn't attack. And Yugi's like, ah, oh, because it's, it has the soul of my grandfather. It's, it won't betray its master. That's why it won't obey you. And then he wins the duel. So, okay, whatever. He cheated again. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But then they go through this long process of just getting to another duel, which is the first time that Exodia gets used. And it, you can tell that, like, you know, Takahashi was just making shit up because it's like, yeah, if you gather all five parts of Exodia, it summons Exodia and it has infinite attack power. It's like, huh, that's different from how it actually is in the game. But anyway, um, and I ha- it's, it's kind of weird to me that... Do you- Takahashi has said that, you know, the response to the game, the positive feedback he got from people who were really interested in the way in the card game uh, when it showed him in the manga. It makes me wonder if that was if that, you know, uh, outpouring came after that first game. And that was why he made such a second one. And then if that kind of fed into itself and that's why he made it just the focus of the series, especially yeah. because it's not too long. It's basically just a, you know, a couple of chapters and then the Bakura thing. And then it's like, and now Duelist Kingdom. Like, that's only a couple of months after that second duel that it's like, okay, the series is just about dual monsters now. So it does make me wonder about the exact order of events that things got decided like that. There's, there's definitely an interest that I have in trying to find out at what point, because I presume... At some point, Takahashi just sort of signed over the rights to be like, yeah, you could design a game around this. I guess you're going to have to actually make it work. And then they came well, in and the were like... Well, signed it to, it didn't work because that was Bandai's version of the game and it was also terrible. So. But like when you look at eventually when they came in, they're like, okay, so the star should actually mean something. You had to like, right. sac- like tribute summon to get bigger things out. You could attack people's life points directly, things like that. Like all that, all those rules kind of come in during battle city. And I wonder if those were rules that he was told like, Hey, the, the, the people who are going to make the real card game desperately need this to be balanced. So could you put these rules in <laughs> instead right. of like, I don't know. Well, I I I have a, a a water monster, and your your lightning sword deals ten thousand more damage. And it gets now a because field of power bonus. <laughs> oh my goodness! There's 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 so much of the absurdity to it, and 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 I love it. That uh, I, I honestly like the manga more before the Duelist Kingdom stuff happens because there's a certain insanity. That is difficult to capture once the dual monsters cu- stuff happens. It's st- it does still crop up. I I I tweeted out earlier like the shot of Kaiba being like slit my throat with your card, Yugi. I've had to leap off the side of this building. But one of my favorite moments is this long arc leading up to the second fight with Kaiba, where Kaiba sends them through the Death Tea, which is like a five round gauntlet of games designed to just murder. Yugi and his friends. You call them games. <laughs> Only two of them are games, yeah. Chris. <laughs> All of them are outright basically things that are designed to murder Yugi and his friends. And my favorite one is like the whole framing of this is like Kaiba's opened up Kaiba World or whatever theme park name it has. And it's free for the kids because Kaiba wants kids to be happy. 
So a bunch of kids are going in and everyone thinks Kaiba's a change man. And then very quickly they find out he's not uh, as he sets up all these different events. And they get to one that sends him to a haunted house. And you find out Kaiba... With the chop man. You find out Kaiba has gone out, found, and recruited a serial killer. Like Jason Voorhees, basically. To be the murder mascot of this park who gets to murder people within it. And you're like, hold, like, you just sit there and you're like, how much fucking work must have had to go in to finding this serial killer before the police did, slowly convincing him to join this amusement park, and then everything else that has to go into, like, setting up a room of oil that they'll fight over chainsaws on chains on. You're like, this is so astoundingly dumb and beautiful, and I love every second of it. I mean, you could have just gotten a gun, Kaiba. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like, if you just wanted to kill him, you could just you should have flipped a coin and been like, you lose. You're like, I didn't even call it. Boom, and he's dead. Um. Oh, by the way, interesting tidbit. Uh, that uh, early parts of the manga are where certain Yu-Gi-Oh car- uh, monster cards came from, including Zombie of the Dark and Chopman the Desperate Outlaw. Those are effect monsters in the game. Yeah, and I you could definitely see it because like every part of Yu-Gi-Oh has all these weird, crazy monster designs that you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, like all these feel like they're from Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, um, I, I, I really, it's tough because there's part of me that's just going to be like, yeah, once you get into the Duelist Kingdom stuff, you know, you're kind of following it beat for beat, and it's fine, it's good, it's you know, it does make you appreciate a lot of the small touches, like Takahashi despite not being particularly clever at resolutions to his puzzles, is still really good at, like, creating great dramatic character beats. Like, I still have, like, a moment when I'm like, yo, it's super dope that Mai drops off that fucking, uh, like, the right hand of the king card for for Joey before he gets eliminated. Like, there's just small <laughs> little moments like that. You're like, that's a cool moment. That's really well done. Like, oh, I can't see in Yuki's mind because his friends are blocking it from me. Like, stuff that's like, this is cheesy and 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 dopey, but it's awesome in the same way. Like, those are great. Um, and it, it, it's it's something that is just enjoyable to go through. But ultimately, I'm so happy to have read the start of it because it's so absurd. There's there's so many crazy. Oh, yeah. He he like the level of which he starts really punishing people is so wildly inconsistent <laughs> too. like, I think it's like right before he punishes like a mass serial killer who's trying to hold people captive. He's like, you make people listen to your karaoke too long punishment game. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear nothing but static noise for the rest of your life. Like shit, dude. He's Jesus 16. Christ! You made that guy basically deaf. <laughs> He's sixteen. You didn't want to give him a shot to turn his life around. But when they just start oh, punching man. that one professor out, he's lost like 17 teeth by the end of it. He's like, where all my teeth go? Like sorry. he couldn't control himself, guys. Were, he was being t- he was being mind controlled. You were you were a zombie for a little bit. My bad, dude. <laughs> oh well. Oh, that's actually. Oh man. Uh, Panate reminds me of maybe the best one because there's one where you're like. That dude's dead, 
and his like his crime is so insignificant when they go to the school festival and everyone from the school festival is like oh man i'm super excited for the class thing we set up uh, and then some like older classmen's like we're taking your spot fuck off and yugi's like i'll get revenge for you so they go to like they have like nitroglycerin and an ice hockey putt that they skate across a grill with each other and eventually Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, yugi like gets it so he hits it so hard it breaks under the shock of it and explode like drops an ice of and explodes you're like that kid's dead that kid's <laughs> dead because he was a little bit of a mean jerk on school festival day <laughs> oh my god so i i have to say that honestly I am glad that eventually Yu-Gi-Oh just switched to just being about the card game because some of the games that Takahashi thinks up are lame as shit. <laughs> like, Yugi and Junochi and Honda are like 15, 16. Yugi looks like a little shrimp, but these other guys were his bullies before. And they play a game together. I shit you not. Which is each of you make a bingo board with numbers from one through 50. And then when the results of the school exam come out, you go to look at the top 50 results of, of the test takers. And then depending on who is a girl or a boy, you fill out your bingo board with red and black. And whoever gets the most vertical and horizontal and diagonal lines wins. It's like, this is bullshit. It's lame. You fucking losers. are <laughs> so excited to go. And like, you almost sit there you're like, well, that just sounds ridiculous. But then you forget the other game that was attached to it was just like in the a same chapter. Tamagotchi. <laughs> well, Separate, uh, by uh, the way, from the regular Tamagotchi. <laughs> We're like, yeah, you fill out your profile, and then if someone else has a match, then they beep around each other. It's like, that's just like a Tinder profile. <laughs> that's not a game. <laughs> and then there was... And the that's another one where, like, the person who gets punished is very much not, like, as justified <laughs> as the punishment he gets. Because the guy's like, hey, you can't use fucking electronics on school premises during school she hours. She was also thinking to expel them for no reason, so... Yes, but the initial thing is like, hey, you can't have that out there. Give me that. He's like, what are you doing to Taya? <laughs> he's like, I'm going to see to it. This is a gift from Onzu. You can't take this from me. He's like, I mean, it's contraband. I mean, I'm a teacher and you're a student and, you know, whatever. And I was like, also, if you had just kept it in your book bag, no one really needed to know about this. It was tucked in his shirt, I guess, but still. Yeah. So I have to say that the other really stupid lame thing in the same in the same little set of chapters as those two was Yugi wanting to play a matching game, but apparently not having cards. And so he draws little symbols on his fucking socks oh, right. and lays a bunch of them on the floor and tries to flip two of them at the same time to improve his sixth sense. It's like, this is lame. <laughs> like, why didn't you draw hearts on your socks, you fucking loser? Now I know why everyone thinks you're a nerd, because you, you are one. <laughs> You know that poor, stupid Hanasaki kid whose dad had to pay bullies to pretend <laughs> to get beat up by him so we'd have more confidence? That kid is cooler than you are. And I presume that's why he never shows up again. I always assumed that the thing was like, it's like, yeah, you know, for the most part, Yugi's this little fucking dork. But also, 
fucking Duel Monsters takes over the world and he's the king of games. And so, you know, he doesn't usually get portrayed in that light of being this nerdy fucking kid. But then he's just like, I know, I'll put socks over and try to get out of it. Oh my God. <laughs> get a video game. Someone just reminded me of another amazing moment when there's like a criminal bomb person. Oh my God. And like, they, they're at an amusement park and Taya's like goes on the Ferris wheel and then like it starts going and, and like Yugi's like, oh, I guess she, she's on it. And the, then the cops get like a call and they're like, oh no, the bomb person's here and he's threatening us. He has a card playing gimmick. And then he like puts the phone away. He's like, does anyone around here particularly good at playing card games? <laughs> like just open source. Like, can anyone figure out this cryptic card game puzzle before the bombs go off? And you and know what? It's not a skill-based game. <laughs> it's all luck. <laughs> entirely random it's like it's portrayed as being like solitaire but even solitaire you there is an element of strategy to it you've got to make decisions based off the options that you have and this one is just like whichever card you draw you put it in the pile of matching cards and then whenever one of the whenever one of the force of ascent gets together then something happens and it's like okay so you have to yugi has to match up four kings in order before he matches up too many others because these these cars on this ferris wheel are, are, are rigged to explode so he has to get the four kings before he gets the one that anzu's in and that's it and he does it's like oh it's a good thing that the great card player yugi moto was here to randomly draw cards in the right order there's <laughs> There's a moment when you have to sit there and you're like, I understand that this is a manga about games, but there's some elaborate hilarity to like, there's a bomb terrorist who's threatening to blow up the park, but he's required us to play an elaborate game. Also, Yugi doesn't have a friend within the police department, so I, as the police detective, shall announce to everyone in the park that this event is happening, and I need the help of a schemed, skilled gamer to get us through this. By the way, speaking of Anzu, uh, in that chapter in particular, um, I knew that uh, Taya uh, was considerably, you know, less sexualized in like the English version of the anime. I knew that they, you know, downplay like uh, there, there's like, you know, a flashback in the anime where like, you know, a guy tries to like blackmail her into, you know, taking naughty photos of her. She's considered her attractiveness is played up more in the original version, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, She's just there to be the hot girl in the manga. It's honestly really skeevy at points. Like she, it gets to a point where it's like, oh, she's just there to be the girl for these guys to creep on. Uh, they go through that entire death tea thing that kind of sets up for them with this baby Herman character who is Honda's nephew. And he's just this little kid in like a duck themed onesie who's supposed to be like one, but speaks perfect he speaks like an adult and is just constantly trying to sit in Anzu's lap, grope Anzu's boobs, all this stuff. Yeah, it's like, and his, you need to specify that it's not like even like an innocent baby no, strike fan. He's like, like she's he's like, hot. He's like, take off your shirt, tots. 
I want to see, I want to breastfeed off of yous, but not in a way that actually gives me nutrition. I just want to suck on them baps. I just want the girls. And his big heroic moment, by the way, is like, I have to save Anzu, so I'm going to crawl on this guy's lap and shit on him. Because I'm a baby, you sees. Oh my god, that entire sequence. It's I, I don't know if I've ever been more thankful to see a character never return than that. Oh, thank you. It's the best to see. Look, I, I know what I said is like, oh, uh, you know, I am actually glad that Takahashi you just switched to doing the card game. I would have in a heartbeat taken just random bullshit sock matching games for 250 chapters if it meant Joji never showed up again. <laughs> Oh. And thankfully he did not. <laughs> All right. Do we want to wrap this up? Yes. So in the card bomber uh, plot, Yugi has a line while they're at a water park where he sees Anzu in a bikini. And he specifically says even the card bomber would go crazy for Anzu's dynamite body. <laughs> and this is a kid who like two chapters earlier was matching his socks with little hearts <laughs> on them and snowflakes. I went through puberty between chapters. <laughs> <laughs> like I imagine in real life he's just like, oh, Hans, you're so hot. We'd all be rock hard over that dynamite blasted body of hers. And then in actuality he's just like, oh, sweet, I got double diamonds on my socks. <laughs> That's four <laughs> matches in a row. I'm a psychic. Uh, I will say that I am super glad that I did finally read the, the manga because I feel like if you're a big Yu-Gi-Oh fan that this should be like essential reading, honestly, because it is so weird to see where certain things came from uh, that became the anime that is much more well known. The card game that is much more well known than the, than the parts of the manga that don't get a lot of focus. Uh, it also gave me a new appreciation for certain characters. I know I made the comment about Anzu and it, 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 I was just like really repulsed by that at certain points. But I think that Jonochi comes across much better than uh, he does in the anime at certain points. I really like his approach to things. Um, there's an early chapter that is kind of one of his big redemption moments for bullying Yu-Gi-Oh to start with, where uh, this guy, uh, I think he just steals Yu-Gi's puzzle. I think that that's what happens. And the guy like. Like everyone else in the series, whenever Yugi doesn't force the game on them, they force the game on whoever. They're like, fine, well, we're going to fight over this, but it's going to be a special game. We're going to hold these knives in our mouths. And he's thinking to himself, the knife that is in my mouth has a retractable blade, so I'm not even scared. So I'm just going to shove this this knife into this guy's mouth and kill him. I don't care if I get a record from this. (laughs) Um, But Junochi's just like... I won't be able to hold back from punching you if you've got a knife in your mouth, so you don't have to hold it in yours. I'll just hold it in mine. And then he kicks the guy's ass. <laughs> or like when they get the laser tag part of the uh, of the first uh, leg of Kaiba's obstacle course for them. And he's just really frustrated from going through this, you know, laser tag course. So he just climbs up on top of the obstacles and then sneak attacks guy and kicks him in the head. <laughs> the guy, by the way, is like a trained, like, former navy seal or some shit like that and he's just like i never expected someone to be this stupid (laughs) and the guy's like well it's okay though i've got the guy's taking me by surprise but i've got better reflexes i'll be able to shoot him and just kicks him in the head 
it's it, you really can make a drinking game out of following the number of times characters would defeat Yugi at their game if they weren't such greedy assholes. Like the shoe guy who has a scorpion in the shoe and they take turns grabbing coins out of it. And eventually he's just like, I'll just stab the scorpion a bunch and then really, that'll really rile it up for when Yugi goes for the next pick. You're like, why wouldn't you just play the game? Like, why would you throw the dice at Yugi's head instead of just dropping it and be like, See, I got a two. Fucking, I think you you now have to give me all your money or something like that. Like, there's so many people where you're like, if you would just not let your greed completely overwhelm you immediately, you would have won this. Or like the guy who uh, holds Anzu against, uh, and Yugi plays a game with him and he's like, each of us can only use one finger. And the guy's like, sounds good. Of course. I am not going to stop from pouring this liquor into my glass while we play. <laughs> so Yugi's able to trick him into getting his cigarette to try and wind get his cigarette lit. So Yugi like lights a lighter and then puts it on the guy's hand and he's like, oh no, the lighter's going to fall and it's going it's to get all over. The, the alcohol is all over me because I didn't stop pouring for some fucking reason. And if the lighter drops, it'll burn me to death. I need to grab the lighter off of my hand and then I'll shoot him. And it's like, why did you just a, shoot him? pouring why did you, A, keep pouring the liquor, B, not shoot him immediately? <laughs> like, there's so many points where you're just like, I don't even know. C, blow, just blow out the lighter by blowing on it. <laughs> like, it's like this logic of, like, none of us can use another finger. And I'm like, how the fuck do you drop the lighter without, like, moving your other fingers whatsoever, too? It's like a very, like... Shut up. I cheat. You're just not supposed to call me on it. Again, that's maybe my favorite part of reading this is, like, God, I love how much the Pharaoh just outright cheats at games. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a greater moment reading a manga than when he's just like, you said you rolled double crits, right? Oh, I don't see any dice anymore. <laughs> No take backs. <laughs> no dice, no roll. I guess you're doomed to death and to damnation forever. Uh, all right. Uh, I highly recommend Gotta... it. And again, if you want to check it out, the Shonen Jump website has it all out there. Go read all this stuff in its glory, guys, because I, I think you need to experience a lot of it for yourself. We are going to have to go double time through our regular series because we unfortunately got a late start due to technical difficulties. So if there's something that you wish that we could take our time on, uh, sorry. We're going to get into the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap. My Hero Academia number 227, Memento from All for One. Gigantomachia has been fighting with the League of Villains, and he's very upset that uh, Shigaraki has been declared All for One's uh, successor because he doesn't think he's worthy. Uh, the doctor contacts Shigaraki through the radio and, uh, he, you know, gives them a little bit of, uh, of, you know, background on, uh, Gigantomachia. And he says like, all for one knew he was going to be defeated by All Might eventually. So he hid this guy away. Uh, and now he has left him for you as a generous gift, but he's loyal to a fault. So loyal he doesn't think that Shigaraki measures up. So Dobby's like, well, okay, we better show him we're worthy then. And he throws a huge fireball at Gigantomachia that he just, you know, eats, which prompts Toga to say, not very effective. Which I'm pretty sure is just a blatant Pokemon reference. So Gigantomachia, he is a rock type. Fire Obviously. is not very. Obviously. Come on now. 
Dobby, Dragon- big dumb idiot. <laughs> the doctor uses a recording of All for One's voice to get Gigantomachia to calm down for a moment, and then he activates the bizarre ooze teleportation quirk, which takes everyone by surprise. <laughs> Just, you know, all for, uh, one of all for one's quirks. Uh, he teleports them to his facility where we see a bunch of the high end Nomu are in these vats. Big two page spread showing the uh, a big part of the compound. Keep in mind, of course, this is the first this is before the one high end uh, Nomu was sent out to fight Endeavor. So uh, they try and get a good look at the doctor who kind of looks reminiscent of Eggman slash Robotnik. Yeah. Like a, like a not fat version of him, basically. And with all, uh, he less, looks a so. lot like the version, I think that came out for the 20, the 2007 version where they tried to make character designs a little bit more realistic. Right. Although his mustache isn't nearly as big. Yeah. Um, a, a little bit like that. And the doctor is kind of, in somewhat the same mind as Gigantomachia about Chigaraki, that's the main point of the conversation that they have. We get introduced to kind of his character gimmick, which is that he doesn't, he's very paranoid and, ca- and cautious. He doesn't reveal his name to them. He gives them a name, but it's not his real name. And uh, he also doesn't let them see his face. He uses a strong backlight so that they don't get a good look at his features. And he even teleported them here so they don't even know where exactly they are. Uh, it's very cautious about that. Uh, but the point, of course, that he has to make is that, you know, he's uh, he, he is only called Shigaraki here because he has respect for all for one and his decisions. Uh, and he has, you know, offer you know, he's given so much to all for one by this point. And he's like, you look, I've got nothing against you, but I need to judge if you are worthy of having this because so far you have shown me nothing. You're just a 20 year old kid pawing around with the dregs of society. So what do you have to show me? Which uh, catches Spinner's attention because um, presumably it ties into the previous chapter and his thoughts that you know, he was just you know a nothing. So uh, a lot of people are pointing out <clears throat> that if you look at the first chapter of By Hero, the doctor that tells Deku he has no hope and no quirk for him looks uh, a great deal like the doctor in this chapter as well, mm-hmm. particularly having like the same kind of like sprongs on the ends of his glasses. Hmm. Maybe that is something. Interesting. My tie into people's theory that all for one is Deku's dad, which I hate. So, um, let's move on to Food Wars. 304, The Curse of the Defiant Tongue. Well, we're here now, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That matchup that we were waiting for. Still think we're getting another arc out of this, Nick? I do. Okay. Um, I, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Soma, of course, last time challenged the assertion that Asahi had made that, oh, everyone thinks that I'm going to win because Soma doesn't think that. Uh, we actually get Arina off screen revealing to Megami and Soma that she has promised to marry Asahi if she loses to him. And she admits, like, I was, you know, just really frustrated in the moment. <laughs> um. But someone's like, hey, don't worry about it. Check out the tournament brackets. If I, I, I face Asahi in the semifinals and Aaron is on the other side of the bracket, so I can just beat him before he ever even gets a chance to, to take on Arena. And Arena's like, no, you see, 
Asahi has a freaky ability and you have none. His power level is 3,000 and yours is 5. Like, <laughs> the most shonen power level moments I think we've seen from Food Wars so far. His cross knives ability. You have no ability that is reminiscent of that. Come on. Um, we also see Asahi talking with one of his underlings about his, like, yes, I will marry the woman with the divine tongue. And that, yes. He doesn't talk, he still doesn't talk about why he wants to do that. Uh, he just talks about the curse of the person with the divine tongue, which is that everyone who has ever experienced it basically goes through what Mon has gone through. We see a flashback of uh, her leaving and then Senzai Mon having to explain to a young Arina that she's gone. And Arya says, like, when will Mother be able to come back home, though? And Senzaimon's just like, uh. <laughs> At <laughs> some <know>. point. <laughs> Eventually? Did, uh, did did you hear at all about uh, uh, Wonder Park, the movie? Yes, I had. Yes. She's going to die. Hold on. She's back. I was going to say, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched it, but it, it, like, I heard people talk about it, and it is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Like, Sorry, your mom's got to go away for a while. Like implying that she has a deathly illness that's going to send her to the hospital. And years later, when will she be back? In ninety minutes, <laughs> she shows up at the end. I'm fine. You're like, fuck, man, that's a real dark move to force on kids. Then to just be like, nah, she's cool. Your mom just comes back home when she gets sick. You still built that theme park, right? So. Arida basically has started to believe what Asahi has put in her ear, which is if I win this tournament, mother will be disappointed. She already knows that I hold no hope of freeing her from her despair. And if it's, if that's the case, maybe the only way for us to find happiness really is to let Asahi Saiba win. And someone's like, not going to happen. Uh, and he says it in a kind of selfish way, but uh, I, it's one in one of those ways that's like, you can tell it's not really his, true feelings because he's like look i know this is really troubling you but that's not my business that's your family not mine mm. so i'm gonna go get some rest before the matchup megami goes after him and she says do you really think that Aaron is right and someone says i don't know but th the divine tongue really does kind of suck doesn't it you know whenever you there's something wrong with your own dish she, you know, just uses it to really rip into you whenever she says something that she really wants to say, though, to the person who really needs to hear it. It doesn't budge an inch, though. Dual meanings of tongue. Very clever. Uh, so uh, it's semifinals time. It's Asahi versus Soma. Uh, Asahi's like, this is going to just, you know, be a repeat of last time. Uh, I'm the only one who's going to. He says, the only one who's going to walk out of this with everything they want is me. And Soma says, maybe if you beat me, you're free to do whatever you want. But let me just say this first. You can't make Nakiri happy. And uh, it's go time. Bunch of guests show up in order to watch the, the uh, proceedings. We get an upskirt shot of Akumi for some reason. And uh, big two page spread to end of the chapter. Asahi Saiba versus Soma Yukihira. But here we are. I... So. It definitely feels at this point that outside of this two-page spread, uh, nobody's really creatively behind this series is invested anymore. 
Like the writing doesn't feel like anyone cares anymore. The art feels like they were like, I don't know. Can I draw a panty shot at some point in this chapter? Because otherwise it's like, who really gives a fuck at what's happening anymore? Mm -hmm. Uh, It it just feels like everybody's kind of checked out on this series. I want to make a note uh, because I was curious, like, wow, we're already at this point with, you know, Soma's big matchup for the arc. So I went back and I was like, where were we one year ago? March 26, 2018 edition of Weekly Shonen Jump had a chapter of Food Wars in which Tsukasa presented his venison dish in the two-course finale of the Team Shokugeki. So we were at, we were approaching the end of that whole matchup. This arc has been going on for less than a year, and this is how quickly we've gotten to this point from Asahi's introduction at all. I was going to say, I, I, I'd be curious to see how long it's been since Asahi was introduced to when we get to this chapter. Yeah. So less than a year. <clears throat> this is why I say I think this is the final arc, though. This feels exactly like when they were like, yeah, I know we kind of built up the German guy, but we just beat them off screen. It's okay, guys. We have to get to the USA match. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Let's move right. on to to uh, Eden Zero. Let's talk Eden Zero, Chapter Thirty Six, the GIA or the GIA. Uh, so last time Hamora turned on them, uh, but shocker, uh, she didn't. Uh, it turns out that not only is uh, Hamora not evil, she's not even the person that we thought was Hamora. What uh, a lame twist! <laughs> yeah, no, Hamora shows up to save everyone from a volley. The real Hamora. Yeah, the real Hamora. Uh, and she explains that when she showed up on the planet, she was in a jail cell. So she used that. She had to basically take a day to figure out how to get here uh, and then another day or one day to escape and another day to get there. So the person that is currently imitating her is not her whatsoever. There's a small joke how she's like, I wouldn't even uh, take the appearance of a man if I came here, although I am kind of curious. Uh, and uh, Jamie's just like, this is boring. So he cuts a bunch of people. <laughs> Uh, he cheats and uses a super bomb. And everyone's like, how can we beat him? He's unstoppable. And Herbert's like, you're all stupid. He uses cheats. And then Yambi's just like, well. <laughs> I'm like, just fucking let's put our own fucking aim bot on. <laughs> like, like, we can cheat too, man. Uh, and basically, the only other thing of consequence is whoever the fake Homura is is trying to run away from the real Homura. And the real Homura catches her and is like, who, who are you? What are you doing? And... Uh, the skies melts away. We find uh, Amira, who is wearing uh, a, a cat suit with fishnet trim to it. It's a very interesting attire. Also, uh, a V-net cut that goes down to her belly button. It's a very impractical outfit for a lot of reasons, I feel. No wonder uh, she changes her appearance all the time. Yeah, uh, but she explains that she belongs to the Galactic Int- Intelligence Agency, the GIA. Uh, and this is maybe the only time where I actually found Hamora's stupid little gimmick funny. She's like, should you have kept that secret? And she's like, fuck, I think it's because I programmed all of your data into me that that slipped through. And I'm like, that's kind of amusing. So. I. On paper, like the idea of they are in an online game, so it's very easy for someone to. Uh, infiltrate the group as an imposter pretending to be a member of them. 
I don't know why she needs to have a special thing that lets her take on the person's appearance and personality and memories and so on. If you're going to do that, though, like you didn't need to have a virtual world thing. She could have just done that outside of it. Um, so that kind of takes away from the one part of this that I actually like. And also, what did she actually accomplish by disguising herself as Homura? Did she actually learn anything? Did she set anything up? It seems like she blew her cover really fast if she was just going to, you know, try and kill Shiki eventually. Like, what? I th- what is she trying to do? I think the goal was she's essentially like an undercover agent. and She was trying to get in with Drak and Joe basically trying to become a mole in that and Shiki's group was just a vehicle to get in touch with Jammy to then like a, a through way like there's no real reason it had to be Shiki's group it doesn't seem they just I guess happened to be the only other group of players that weren't getting mass murdered at the time I don't but know. did Jammy express surprise at all that Homura was not Homura? Uh, I don't think he really cares. He immediately just starts saying, blah, blah, blah. This is all boring. I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think so. It really doesn't cares. really it doesn't really sell that, does it? No. And, and other people are mentioning this. This is also the same twist they used in the last arc where it's like sisters evil. No, it's, it's not the real sister. sister. <laughs> the real the real <laughs> sister is good. All along. No, 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 don't worry. Ugh. Don't need to confront any complicated uh, character motivations. It's fine. Yeah, no, I, I mean. I don't know. This is still like this feels like such a weird other plot completely divorced from everything else this arc was supposed to be about that. I almost feel like, I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't really know what the point of this subplot is, but I guess it exists. Maybe there will be a satisfying explanation next chapter. Maybe. Let's move on to Boruto number 33, Exceeding the Limits. Uh, last time Kawaki managed to, uh, protect, uh, I think it was Himawari from being hurt. As Kawaki, I think. Didn't Kawaki sacrifice himself? Not sacrifice himself, but he put his arm. He put his arm in the way, and now his arm is all fucked up because of that. Didn't I say Kawaki? You said Himawari. I said Himawari was protected by him. Oh, okay. Well, I I guess we're all wrong then. Anyway, so Kawaki got in the way of the blast and his arm is all messed up now. And it, remember, it's the thing that you can't just regenerate from. So Delta is really kind of pissed off because like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, she says, fine, we're just going to bring you back and Amato will repair you. So you have no choice but to come back with me so that your, you know, your wounds will actually be uh, recoverable. Naruto, meanwhile, was just like, hey, remember what I said? That, you know, I was going to really get angry if you hurt the kids. Well, here we go. Speed lines! Speed lines, speed lines, speed lines! Oh my god, it's a montage of punching and kicking and all this stuff. And there's speed lines in all the backgrounds. Yay! Makes it really easy to read. So, Naruto is eventually just like, I'm gonna take you on. Here, giant Rasengan. And Delta's like... Well, I guess that dispersed my eye beams, but now I'm just going to absorb it into my eyeball. And they're like, oh, no. And then he's like, fine, super giant Rasengan. And she's like, "Uh well, fine, I'll just absorb that instead. Uh, And it just, 
he just keeps making bigger Rasengan's and they're like, what is he what is he doing? But Boruto says, my dad has something in mind. And Naruto's like, I have seen the filler episode of Dragon Ball Z where, where Goku used his Super Saiyan light to make that one guy who ate light explode. I just have to make, make you absorb it. And sure enough, eventually it becomes too much and she overloads and they've lost all functionality. She's lost connection with her drone. She can't use her eye beams. She can't do nothing. Then he's like, I knew that... There had to be a limit. There had to be a physical storage because you kept on shooting back the jutsus that you absorbed exactly as they were. So there has to be a limit to them. So now, super, super giant Rasengan. Could have called it super duper giant Rasengan there, Naruto, but oh well. Uh, He fucks her up and yay, he wins. Yeah, I I like it. I think it was a cool fight. Like Delta seemed actually pretty strong. Uh, but when your opponent is the fucking main character from the other 700 chapter previous series that this was all about, you kind of have to make that character not look like a big goober. So I think this fight did a good job of kind of expressing both of those points. It makes, uh, what's the group's name? I always forget it. Mara or some shit like that. Kara, I think. Kara. Uh, it makes them look in- like interesting. If you're like, if this is what one member could do. I'd be curious to see right. what other ones do, especially since this one is clearly like the uh, the fucking angry, over the top, very kind of like easily predictable one in the group. So it, it, it's it's cool way to kind of like start things off. Mm. The fight itself wasn't all that interesting to me, and I didn't really like the brute force method of dealing with her. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't have two really strong objections to it. All right, Hellworn Huguma. Chapter 13, Molten Copper, a.k.a. This series is definitely getting canceled. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of upset about this um, because it, it's weird because the series is at the point where it's basically almost explicitly acknowledging. It's like, yeah, this guy wasn't supposed to show up now, but we got canceled. So he has to. He <laughs> <laughs> come at one point even fucking says like, you know, you said that you would come when my child turned 10, but you know, I'm still a teenager. I don't have any kids at all. And he's like, well, yeah, but shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he basically you, just says you like, you're gonna get something married. else happened. So I had to show up early. <laughs> you're going to pop out a kid in the next six chapters. Chapters, bud. <laughs> Turns out making friends with a girl is how you have a 10 year old child immediately. <laughs> um, Higuma, of course, is in a bad situation because one of his limbs has already been taken off. Uh, the guy establishes that he is, you know, he gets off on, you know, making hell wardens feel pain and suffer and all that stuff. Uh, Higuma forces Ayaha to go away. And uh, she tries to get assurance from, uh, oh gosh, I forget the little flame bowl's name, but uh, she's like, oh, Roku, that's it. Um, So Roku says, like, you know, go tell uh, Uso what's happened. I'm going to try and get back up. And she says, hey, Higuma, he's strong, right? He's going to be okay, yeah? And Roku's like, yeah, yeah, he'll be all right. I mean, maybe not. Like when he get when that guy killed his dad and aunt, that they were way stronger than Higuma is now. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna go do work. So good job comforting the really worried girl. <laughs> um, we see the fight unfold. Uh, Higuma gets fucked up even more because the uh, wound in his arm 
the guy left molten copper, which spikes him and travels up his arm and is approaching his heart. So it's going to kill him. Also, he uses his molten uh, metal to take off one of Higuma's legs. And he's like, I'm just going to keep on taking off limbs until you only have the, have the one arm that you need to summon Zaiju. And then I'm going to kill you. Uh, Higuma gets really determined, thinks about the pain that he's inflicted on, on demons that he has banished back to hell before. And he's like, all right, so what? And he uses his uh, Zaiju to put a hand on his leg stump so that he can actually properly run towards the guy. And then all of a sudden we get a flashback to six years ago. And that's the other chapter. Always a very good uh, sign when you abruptly move over to your character's flashback. Dot, dot, dot. Let's move on to deolation process 14. We're in the middle of learning the character's backstory. At least this one doesn't feel rushed, though. It doesn't, but it still feels like the same, like, general feel. Like, we had to get the backstory for this character out now while we had the chance. Uh, maybe because we'll only have, like, the next four chapters to actually deal with Gavaldon or whatever. Uh, so we find out Nia's backstory uh, when he was a kid. He was very unpopular because he spent his recess doing math problems. And uh, I hero. Yeah, I empathize with him a little bit. I used to tell people, I was like, I kind of do long division for fun. Like, it's just kind of relaxing, you know? And I like doing algebra because it's kind of like solving puzzles. People are like, nerd! You're a big math nerd. I'm like, no, you don't understand. If you put it on a shape, I'll, I'll sit there for an hour and a half and get the wrong answer. Like, I just, <laughs> I just like algebra. Uh, but he he finds cleaning costs are dropped from someone's house, and he's like, oh, here, I'll bring these in. And he meets a little girl, uh, Tabari. 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 Yeah. So Tabari's like, hey, you're here. Why don't you come play with me? Uh, come here. Show me, let me let me show you this laptop. It has all this cool stuff. Uh, and it's pretty obvious that Tabari has some kind of condition that forces her to stay yeah. inside the house all the time. She's uh, got Marika disease. Yeah, no one no one really knows specifically what, uh, but she watches everybody from her telescope uh, in the second story. And that's how she knows exactly who Neo is, because she's been watching him all this time. And she thinks that he's always kind of alone. And when she brings it up, she, you know, he's like, no, it's none of your business, you know? And she's like, oh, well. I kind of always empathized with you because you were alone and I was alone. So I kind of understood how you feel. And maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done anything. So Neo starts. Well, to he said, well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Neo starts to apologize. And she immediately is like, yay, I'm the one who feels the best of all. Cause he was like, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. Like you didn't do anything wrong. She's like, no, I was wrong. I'm the one who feels best of all. And she's super excited, and she's like, here, you can take this laptop, because you won't be able to see me every day, but if you have a computer, then you'll be able to talk to me every day. And if you have this laptop, you gotta put everything into it. You have to be a master of a computer. You have to be the best computer person ever. So, uh, that's basically the story of, I guess, how he became a hacker, is he was like, well, because uh, he goes home, we see... And immediately starts studying everything. By the way, he looks like he's maybe eight at this time. Yeah. So he's sitting there and he's like fucking immediately reading books on like how to assemble computers and how to like like net code and shit like that. So he's like, oh, okay. And we get the origin for his name, Neo, which doesn't make sense for us because it's like a translation between like three different languages. Right, right, right. But essentially 
his name meant Neo to some extent, but that was taken, so he just used a zero instead of a no. I want to point out that uh, um, Tavari does not actually put pressure on uh, Arata or Neo to become a super hacker. She just says, like, you know, you're really smart. I bet you could do all sorts of stuff on a computer, and if you do, then just tell me about it. Yeah. So uh, I actually thought that this chapter was adorable as hell. <laughs> like, just the raw enthusiasm that uh, Tabari has is actually it's one of those things where it's like it could so easily be really annoying because she's, so, you know, just an excitable little girl. But there's something about her that's that makes her seem really nice and sweet. I really like the moment where, you know, Neo kind of puts everything together because he's like, wait a minute, because she says, like, I was planning on giving him the laptop for the very beginning. She's like, and so he's like, wait a minute, did you drop the cleaning cloths outside of the house on purpose so that I would pick them up and come inside and she's like no don't tell my mom I did that shut up <laughs> pull my fucking cover I, I'm fully expecting that the next chapter reveals that somebody like maybe someone in the pharmaceutical industry or something like that fucks her over and like that's the reason why Neo goes after criminals online right uh you you see a sick girl in a backstory and you're like you don't make it to the current no. day so we'll see what happens to that it's it's a fine start to this backstory as that i i legitimately think this is the end of this series so there's a part of me that's trying not to get too connected to it but Possibly. it's chapter all right, let's move on to the last Sayuki, chapter four, Friends. Uh, this chapter features kind of uh, like, it, it's kind of like revealing like, this is how we're actually going to have Koharu, you know, do stuff, basically. <laughs> um, Ryunosuke uh, explains to his dad that, that he did when he went to school actually reveal uh, Koharu's existence to Shige. Uh, his best friend and he's like i don't think he would tell anyone else about her uh, he and i you know i told him that he was the only guy i was telling about this and he wouldn't just blab about that to me but his father still says well we'll have to do something to make absolutely sure that he doesn't and reno's is like you're not gonna like lock him up are you and his father's like why do you think that i would do that do you really think i would do that and reno's is like yeah you're so machiavelli <laughs> Which is the most I have ever liked this kid. <laughs> is that specifically what he says? Um, but he, he just, his father just explains, like, we just have to make sure that he doesn't reveal Koharu's existence to anyone. We have to be absolutely certain. Uh, so, you know, just call him over and we'll take care of that. So Rinosuke tries calling him, but it turns out that he's away at baseball camp, which was a detail that, you know, he forgot about. Uh, I love that his mom brings that because Rinosuke's like, did he tell you why I was absent? It's like, oh, yeah, we heard you were overseas for an incurable illness. I'm so glad you're better. <laughs> Great. There's a bit of a bonding moment between Rinosuke and Koharu. Uh, that's very sweet. Like uh, he he reveals, he explains to her, you know, the history between himself and Shige, how uh, they bonded over their uh, mutual love of baseball. And then when his mom died, he was kind of like in shock because everything was different. 
And everyone was also treating him really differently, treating him with kid gloves, so to speak. And Shige was just like, hey, do you want to go play catch like we always do? And he explains he was the only one who was, who was acting the same as before. And it kind of brought me back to normality. It brought me back to Earth. And because of him, I was able to actually accept my mom's death. So very, very nice little thing. Um, and uh, Kahara says, you know, because Ryosuke explains friends are people that help each other out because Kahara does. That was the entire reason he explained the story because she didn't even know what a friend was. So she says, I don't think I can ever make friends because I can only ever cause people trouble. I can't ever help anyone. And Ryu says, like, the other day I wet the bed. My dad helped help me wash the sheets. My dad's feet stink. Yes, you've got this weird ability, but there is no one who doesn't cause others trouble. And that's really nice. That, that's a really nice uh, way of looking at it. It's like, hey, you don't be so hard on yourself. That's a great message, I think. It's like everyone causes trouble for each other. Sometimes that doesn't mean that you have to feel guilty about it and not let yourself get close to people. Mm-hmm. And it's a really nice little bonding moment because he's like, I am proud of you, my little sister. And she thanks him for that. Two more days pass. Shige is back from baseball camp. He is able to come and visit Ryunosuke. And when he steps through the gates of the shrine, we actually are introduced to a new component of the series, which is that people we can actually see people's mo from Ryunosuke and his father and Kohara's point of view. And we see that Shige's mo is filled to bursting. It actually looks really ominous and threatening because it's going to it's cracking at the seams. It's got this huge black mass inside of it. And they're like, his fear is very close to materializing and it's going to turn into a monster and kill him. And he explains that. Uh, there was this guy at school, uh, this new kid at the camp named Toshihara when he told us this really vivid story. And his father tries to get him to explain more. And he's like, I don't want to say anymore because if I tell you the details, it feels like something's going to appear. And he looks terrified out of his mind. So the father brings Ryu and Koharu into another room. And, he's, and he says, Shige is really, really close to, you know, letting this monster come out. And he's like, look, there's an emergency situation. So what we need to do is materialize it here so we can take care of it. So Koharu, in order to save Ryunosuke's friend, will need you to use your power. So getting to show her that she can use her abilities in a good way. I really like this chapter. There's a lot of great character moments and it uh, leaves me feeling optimistic about the direction of like, you know, how the, these characters are all going to be able to do things going forward. I think if this is the direction the series is going to be, I'll be able to enjoy it a lot more. Like if like the notion is more like, Hey, sibling stuff. And then occasionally trying to like help people who are being tempted by this guy. I'm more interested than the idea of just turning this into a straight battle manga kind of deal. Yeah. Gives it much more of an identity. You and Camille, let's loose. Chapter three, whatever. Chapter three, a sparkly visitor. It's a harem series now. Another girl showed up. She's got history with uh, with fucking Yui, and she wants to kick b- black Yui's ass, but she only ever sees white Yui. And so Kito's trying to keep her from discovering black Yui, but eventually she do. And that's basically where the chapter ends. Like, Not and- since... Uh... We saw Alice in her full glory. Has there been a more Valley Girl character introduced into Shonen Jump? Oh, absolutely. This character's like, you know what? It's like, I can never forgive her. Like, you know. 
when she first when she finally comes across the black Yui, she's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. It's nice to see you again. She's like, she says, like, this is where you die. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's. um, it's And also serious... like, let's throw down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I you know, Nick, we had, we when three chapters are through, we had to decide whether or not we're gonna continue talking about it or not. I'm pretty sure I decided after one chapter was through. <laughs> we do the three, the jump start three, as yes. we call it. Uh Nick, do you want to continue talking about this? Absolutely not. Well, I absolutely do, so it's going to the uh, now, okay. We're, we're fine, we're losing it. It's and here's the thing: it's not that I find the series bad. This is different from with Chainsaw Man, where I was just like so disgusted by it. There's like, I just don't want to talk about this this asshole anymore and his stupid obsession with breasts. This is just I've got nothing to say about this. It's there is nothing to it that really seems to do anything for me, even though this is actually a pretty packed chapter in terms of like the interaction that we see between Kito and this girl. I don't want to see any more of any of this because it's so bland. So I don't, I don't have anything to say about it. So what's the point of putting in the recap? The premise is pretty much worn thin in the three chapters we've discussed of it. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's talk about we never learned. Then question one hundred four. A little pale pink evokes memories of a pizza bat. Uh, so uh, Firmino gets a gift. From this has nothing to do with pizza. She's no. not even in this chapter. No, but I think we've established that X stands for a pizza bat from now on. So every chapter we never learned. Uh, so there ends up being a chapter tile that's like you know question one thirty seven. Chris will never win the X. <laughs> I'm like, that's really specific. There's not even a character called Chris in this. Uh-oh. Uh, so the chapter opens up with Firmino getting a gift from her father, who gave her some lipstick that was the brand that her mother really liked. And he said, I thought I meant to give you it earlier. I thought I maybe missed my chance. And she realized, like, oh, you were giving me a birthday gift. So it's a little sweet little moment. Uh, and it's... uh. Ocean something. I forget. Ocean tea, I guess, is all. For it's irresistibly kissable lips. Uh, and I like that her dad is like, you're still too young for that kind of stuff. <laughs> She's like, shut up. So <laughs> she wears it in the, to the next study mean to have. It's just her and Asahi. And uh, eventually Uega shows up. She starts like thinking like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm wearing this lipstick. Oh, yeah, I recognize it. It's super cute. It's the kind for that irresistibly kissable <laughs> lips, right? And she's like, no, I I haven't even had my first kiss, you know, excluding the Meow Polian thing. And then, of course, the like, I don't I almost assume there's some like fourth dimensional, like sinister theory behind this, this one kid, <laughs> this child, the, the mother and child that walks by, who's just like, here's a reminder of the, <laughs> the wackiness you guys are involved in. Because Asahi's like, oh, hey, it's uh. He's a Meow Polian Z. Remember that? Oh, man. Wasn't it funny when Uwego was in that costume walking around during the school festival? And now we know why Sumi is the only one there. So. <laughs> and you're like, like, she was just like, ha ha ha. That was funny. <laughs> Says nothing else. Uh, so then. Fumino <laughs> goes dead quiet. She's like, Okay. Like, she doesn't even give like a specific <laughs> example. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, remember when that thing happened? Ha <laughs> ha, that was great. <laughs> and then, then nothing. Uh Uega shows up and of course uh he's just like, ah, good to see you guys here. Tumin was like, yes, that is correct. 
Uh, he's like, oh, that's weird. She seems kind of. He's like, oh, hey, you're having a little problem with this math problem. And she like flash snaps herself off the desk and starts rolling across. He's like, I kindly appreciate you bringing this to my opinion, <laughs> my attention. Uh, I must go now. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck's happening? She goes to the washroom, washes her face off, and she's very upset because she's like, uh, or not upset. She's very conflicted because she's like, she just discovered that what she thought was that weird kiss is with the person who she has very complicated feelings about right now. Uh, cut over to Uega, who's like, huh, something's up with her. Because Asumi just left as well. I guess Asumi was just like, oh, fuck it, I'm gone. She was like, I got shit to do. Bye, bitches. Yeah, I got out. Oh, there's a new fetish event going on at the maid cafe. She said specifically, I've got to go to work, so you're not too far off. <laughs> She's like, I don't know, it's like slutty cyborg nurse night or something. <laughs> Uh, so Uega's like, huh, I wonder what's up with, uh, Femino. Slutty Cyborg Saturday. <laughs> it's Tuesday. Yeah, but that's not our literative. Uh, and he's like, oh, this lipstick. Uh, she must have been wearing it, and I, I didn't notice that she was wearing it, and she's really upset about that, so sorry about that. Right. So it's one of her, just, you know, reading a woman's heart tests. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Femino sits down, he's like, you look great with that. Oh, you're not wearing lipstick. Huh. I guess maybe I was mistaken about everything. Uh, and then they they do that thing where they, they talk to your senses. Stop using ob- use actual proper names instead of pronouns. You know that thing, Uega? You knew about that thing, right? And he's like, yeah, I totally knew about that thing. Well, how did you feel about it? I, I guess I felt really good. Like, it's just enough of a vagueness that they have a misunderstanding that she's talking about that he must have realized that they had that fake kiss and she's just like oh she's really fucking hammering on this fucking lipstick thing I mean come on get off me here I I fixed that math problem for you (laughs) Uh, there's even a moment though where she's like oh what'd you think about it and he's like I don't know I thought it was I thought it was really neat so she's like neat you thought kissing me was neat uh, and she's very conflicted about all this. It, look, eventually they both realize the situation that's going on. Uh, there is a, I do have to say there is a pretty hilarious note in between though, because he's like, okay, give me another chance. Then she's like, um, really? Okay. And she, she, she like, you know, leans in and he picks up her lipstick and applies it to her <laughs> very well too. He's, he's really, and I do like how he puts it on and he's like, huh? Uh, all right. Very nice lipstick, Femina. <laughs> it looks great on you. Uh, so yeah, they have a moment where they're like, oh yeah, sorry about that. Uh, that was a really weird, confusing kind of like mixture of things. Uh, but we do see that Femino is slowly starting to get closer to the level where she realizes those feelings for Uwig are actual and she might have to finally kind of confront that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not actually a ton of like real consequences to this chapter, but I do feel that that's slowly the direction we're pushing in. Yeah, it's one of those like it's a misunderstanding kind of chapters for this, you know, romantic comedy. Oh, shenanigans ensue because people don't communicate properly, and that sense it's you know whatever. But on the other hand, at least it wasn't built around you know fan servicey sex jokes, so it mm. was pretty innocent overall and i do like i did appreciate that so we went to dr stone z equals 99 kingdom of science photo journal 
so this is a big time skip or time lapse chapter. Uh, we basically a full year passes in, in the course of this chapter as the Kingdom of Science sets about constructing their ship so that they can voyage across the ocean. So we see a lot of different things like uh, you know the stuff that they have have to, the tools that they have to create in order to do this. We see this one really cool device that I was completely unfamiliar with. Uh, it's this man-powered copy machine. Uh, which basically amplifies the movements of your arm in order to reproduce the same movements uh, on a much grander scale further away. Uh, so basically they're like, oh, this is what we're, we'll do in order to like sketch out the patterns so that we can actually recreate all the parts from the scale model that we use, we drew mm. or created. So cool stuff. Um, the photo, of course, is being prepared by Minami with her camera and stuff. So she is a, a, a big part of this. We see her interacting with a lot of different people over the course of this. Um, one of the details that I like is that a couple of a couple of different times there are athletic things going on. And Kohaku is moving so fast that she just turns into this ghostly blur in the in the in the picture. Um, because, you know, it's a primitive camera, so it doesn't capture movement very well. Mm-hmm. Um we see that they've like started up a science academy for the for the village in particular for like the kids and magma um who <laughs> <laughs> is like a child in many ways basically is yeah we also see that minami is getting worried as she's preparing this photo drone because she's thinking that this year could be their last together which of course makes sense as she explains at the end where just like there's no guarantee that you know you guys ever all you guys are going to be able to return from this voyage that you're sitting out on so she's very worried about that uh senku is of course working hard creating different things uh they also have to get some silk so that they can uh do stuff before sitting out to sea they also make silk bathing suits from that so we get our fan service of the chapter so you get yuzuriha and ruri in sexy poses and then kohaku turning into a blur in the background because she's swimming really fast which i do like um there's also a nice just little shot of just all the pivot a bunch of the photographs that uh minawi has taken just up on a wall so you see like oh all these friends that they've made on the way basically and uh as they're getting set to set off they're like oh man we i can't believe that we've made it minawi gets really emotional because you know they're all sitting off together uh, so she's like, at least can I, you know, take one last picture? And Seku's like, oh, come on. I want to no. <laughs> but she gets really, really emotional there. And she's like, well, look, it's not going to be the last time we see each other. I'm 10 billion percent sure we're going to solve the big mystery and return from the other side of the world. But she still wants to take a picture. Yeah. Fortunately, Francois, ultimate foresight uh, person that they are. Uh, knew that this was coming, and so they have actually set up this mechanism to have an automatic camera timer so that everyone could be in the picture, including Minami. And they take this one last picture. Everyone's standing in front of this huge ship. Um, gives you an idea of the scale of the thing, just how massive this goddamn thing is. Uh, and we see that we just get this one final announcement in this two-page spread, which is split up into a bunch of different panels to show, you know, all the different characters involved that on September 10th, the year 5741, the Perseus was completed. And so we're now going to get into the next leg of uh, Dr. Stone with them actually voyaging, it seems. Yeah, there's quite a lot to this chapter. I mean, they, they like, 
they speed through inventing like seven things. They're like, we invented yeah. chocolate. We invented soap. We invented uh, coffee. Snowboarding. Machine. Yeah, like they, they invent a lot. But I really do like the way it's all framed with the idea of like this journalist who's kind of snapshotting and telling like the story of the events leading up to this. And, you know, sort of that ongoing sense of dread that something could go wrong and these happy days are are slowly mm. being counted by and then it being like no i believe we'll return and you know getting this nice moment of like the christening of this ship and everything and also that it's got its big stupid giant gorilla face as well that they like right. had to be like we gotta make sure that's in there so I, they're like seki we don't really need to put a face on it's like yes we do like this actually <laughs> makes constructing the vessel a lot harder well get to it buddy <laughs> Uh, so I, um, I I enjoy all that a lot. I think this is a really good chapter. Yeah, I really like the framing device of the of the photo journal to show this uh, montage. All right, let's jump over to the Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter Three Hundred Four: The Executioner's Wish. Zeldris betrayed them, uh, betrayed the Demon Lord, and is uh, going to help protect the heroes in this. So Demon Lord resurrects the monster that was fighting them before, calling it the Fleeting Hermit. This time, it's still a very creepy monster with the weird face. Uh, so never trust anyone whose shoulders are higher than their mouth. Mm, it's a good rule of life. Uh, and we also get that the wise insights from Nick Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> That's like what goes on your tombstone as your epitaph. Never trust anyone. <laughs> uh, inside uh, the fight with Melodius, the Demon Lord's going on. Melodius has kind of concentrated the energies around him into these like beads of pure darkness kind of based after King's condensed power move. Uh, but it's a lot stronger, and it's actually really effective against the Demon Lord. So Melodius is like, hey, you guys being here is giving me strength, so it's cool knowing you guys are out there is all I need. You guys go help Bond. And we kind of get that moment that a lot of RPGs do, or like manga like this, where every character gets to say their thing yeah. to the hero, as the final parting off. word, as you sit off on your own. Yeah. Yeah. So they all go ahead and do that. They all say like, hey, Belodius, we really like you. Look, we're, we're kind of zapping through things for time, but all of them are very kind of nice and sweet. Uh, yeah. Belodius is like, nice, don't worry. Nice short, nice short little sentiments, too. Like, mm -hmm. none of them have to give big speeches. So. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, all right, you guys don't worry. I'll handle it from here. Uh, back in the real world, Zeldris is fighting against the fleeing hermit, uh, but he is getting some damage done. Uh, Bond's trying to fight back. Eventually, Zeldris uses his ominous nebula technique to cut the fleeting hermit right in half, which is actually pretty sweet because he just pulls it in straight close and then just obliterates it with a swing of his sword. Well, I love the moment where he's, it, he pulls it in and then right before that, he's just like, <laughs> and then blows it away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a very cool moment. Uh, but then the demon lord Amelodius's body strikes him down with magic and everyone's like, how? How is that possible? He's supposed to be immune to magic. And demon lord's like, uh, Dude, I gave that to him. I could take that shit away. So Zeldris looks like he may be out for the count at the moment. But as he's going down, he says to himself, Melodius, I know that you, if anybody, could change everything. I'm counting on you. And we see Melodius hitting the Demon Lord with the big attack and saying that he's going to end it with his next strike. So we seem to be very close to the end of this fight and potentially the end of the Seven Deadly Sins as a whole. Oh my god, did it get cancelled too? No, actually it feels like it's just, you know, naturally concluding. <laughs> they, they ran out of things to base, like, religious things to base groups off of. Seven holy virtues. <laughs> they did that. 
No, they didn't. Well, that's what all the. Uh, Shh! Don't no 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 no. It's <laughs> <All> different. <right. laughs> Based on the, I don't know the the tenfold pad. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Go to different religions. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just really like the series. <laughs> nah, I get it. This is a really good chapter. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, though, because it's just a very straightforward, dramatic and action heavy chapter. And there's I mean, not a whole lot to take note of outside of some, you know, some cool, some cool shit happened. So let's move on to the Promised Neverland, chapter 128. I've decided uh, we pick up where we left off in the conversation between Norman and primarily Emma. Also kind of Ray, Ray, Ray is there, too. But, you know, he's. He's writing in his journal about how smart he is at the moment, you know, yeah. not paying attention to him. Uh, Norman, of course, is you know, telling him, is like, look, I know that you have your ideals here, but listen, do you think that your superheroes never embezzled money from the government? So you're, you're living in a fucking fantasy. Land. <laughs> Very topical. If you haven't heard about the uh, the rant that Zack Snyder went on about people who don't like that Batman killed people, then it's. It's amazingly <laughs> amusing to me. <laughs> um, anyway, he says that, look, we can't just it's just not going to be that easy because, you know, not everyone shares those ideals. We get the cover page for the chapter, which I do really like. It shows Norman in isolation by himself in the testing facility while Emma and Ray were traveling and, you know, working together with uh, their family. Uh, so, you know, showing like this is why Norman is this is kind of help. The difference between Norman and Emma is that Emma is surrounded by her friends. Norman is just kind of off on his own. So um, and Emma says, you're right, but you're only correct in terms of probability. Because, you know, she says, like, all the stuff that you're talking about, you know, this is not, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. You're most likely correct. But that doesn't mean that there is no chance. And she rightfully points out if we just, you know, went with what was most probable, then we would never have escaped from Gracefield House to begin with. So there is a chance that we can do this. And I can't give up on that chance, basically. So she says that she is resolved that. Uh, she will, they can go with Norman's plan because he's already set into motion, but she says, I'm okay up to where you defeat the king of the aristocrats and release the farms, but I don't want you to kill the king and aristocrats right then. I want to use their blood to increase the number of demons that don't have to eat humans. Meanwhile, I'll go to the seven walls and create a new promise with, and I'll create a route to escape to the human world. Once we change all the demons into beings who don't degenerate and destroy all the farms, then let's go to the human world with all the children. And Norman's like, that's a fairy tale. It's like, the series is called The Promised Neverland. Shut up, Norman. Uh, he points out all the problems with her plan and how unlikely it is to succeed. He also says, you know, even James Rotary couldn't get to, you know, to beyond the seven walls. That place doesn't even exist. And Emma's like, no, no, I know where it is. We found out where they are, where the seven walls is in the past year and a half. We gather what's necessary. As long as the conditions are right, we can go anytime. So basically Emma, Emma is just like, look, we can do this. Uh, you say that I can't have it my way unless we know more. Well, then I'm going to go find that stuff out. I'll go find out everything. If I make a new promise, if I can come back, you'll reconsider it. If I can come to you with that information, proving it. And Norman's like, I haven't agreed to anything yet. What do you mean if you come back? Because of course he doesn't want her to set off and do this. 
Ray chimes in at this point and says, we know where the entrance is, but we don't know where the exit is, which, of course, really worries Norman. It's like, this is way too risky. Um, but Emma says, look, you know, the first head of the Roger Crown was able to return a thousand years ago. There must be a way to come back so I can come back. I'm the one who doesn't want the demons eradicated, so I'll be the one to take on this simple burden. And of course, Norman doesn't want his bay to go away and possibly die. But Emma is just like, listen, you're always by yourself. You have so much on your shoulders, but you don't have to be a god. Tell me the truth. This is really tough on you. Do you really want to do all this? Do you really want to annihilate the demons? I don't want you to go far away bearing everything on your own again. And Norman thinks it over and is like, okay, I understand I don't I'm not going to change how I feel about this. I'm not canceling my plan. I'm not delaying it. I'm not going to hold off on it. If you want to stop the annihilation, then you have to return before I kill the the family in the five region houses. And she's like, OK. And Ray's like, I'm going to. Uh, and that they part ways basically once again. And Emma says to Ray as they head off, I've decided I know now what I have to do and I won't waver anymore. Norman still looks worried as they set off. And Emma's like, I'm never going to let Norman be on his own again. And Ray's like, okay. <laughs> I'm here too. Um, I like this chapter a lot. I really like how Emma comes across. Uh, I do also like that it looks like we are kind of diverting slightly away from the idea that Norman was just going to be an unrecognizable kind of villain going forward and too much of an extremist. I like that they're showing some hesitance there that the bond these three shared as kids really is kind of holding strong form. And even though he might have some hesitation about really following it, there's a dedication on their side to be like, hey, we're about everyone coming through together. So I feel like, you know, we're going to do everything we can to keep Norman from going through with this kind of extreme tactic he's thinking. Uh, I feel like it kind of stays true to what the core of the series was about, while also presenting like a new interesting twist with the way Promised Neverland's been kind of dealing with conflicts in the recent like, mm -hmm. kind of small arcs. Interestingly, Norman is basically an antagonist here already. He is presenting an obstacle that Ray and Emma have to overcome. It's just that, you know, it's a time limit more than anything else. And it's a new set of consequences. It's interesting that the consequences here are not the world will end if they don't accomplish this. It's, well, all the demons are going to be genocide and Emma doesn't want that. Emma wants to not have her friend kill all of her other friends. Yeah. Uh and that, that's that's interesting. I'm sure that that that's not going to be the stakes through the rest of the series. I'm sure that something else is going to complicate matters. But I do really like the dynamic that we've got here where Ray and Emma and Norman are all best friends and Norman is kind of actually opposed to them. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting way of, uh, of of going forward. Very much so. All right, let's uh, move real quick on to Black Clover, page 198, the five-leaf grimoire. So last time Asta and you know uh, were very strong and they very much believed that they were going to become the wizard king. So <laughs> to kind of overpower a lot of what the devil did. Uh, but the devil just heals. He says heal and he's fine. So he's like, cool. Well, barely put a scratch in his arm to begin with. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so he's like, that's very cool, you guys. Uh, and he kind of talks them up a little bit. We see a glimpse that Rade's and I want to say his name's like Volthos or Volos, something like that. Uh, they're over there watching things kind of happen from afar, and they're like, oh, hey, kind of ironic. It's, you know, Leashed is being sacrificed in the same way that he kind of sacrificed all of us after we were done being useful to him. So kind of a, a, a conflict for them. Uh, the Demon Lord 
start or the devil starts watching Leash's uh, grimoire, or I guess it's his grimoire. I'm not really sure who is it. I think it's Patry's grimoire, but it gains a fifth leaf, and he's like, "It's the strongest it'll ever be now." And I, I have both my body in perfection and the strongest grimoire, so I'm gonna take this and leave. Ha ha ha! Your empty elf heart was so useful. Ha ha ha! And he's ready to leave. Uh, but that's we also what... find out that Asta's grimoire seemingly was created in this same way. Mm-hmm. So, and there's also a little note too. Uh, well, basically they try to stop him, but Patry has become a dark elf. His heart is so obsessed with evil and conflict now that he can't be stopped. So he kind of holds them back as the devil's like basically flying away. And he even thinks to himself, hmm, ooh, to the devil inside of Asta, if you don't steal that body soon, then you're going to die here along with it. So implying that the consciousness inside of Asta is kind of allowing himself to take over the body slowly one piece at a time so that maybe he could just steal the whole body at one point. Ooh. Also, um, you know, is a is a hybrid like Charmy is. So as someone pointed out to us on Twitter, uh, Karita Prime did. Um, that probably means that he's going to have two magic uh, types, too. Because why not? Yeah, <laughs> why not? He'll have wind and light, and I don't know. Maybe he's like, oh, I got copy magic, too. So any magic that I need. <laughs> or hold on. What's another way they could do copy? Because there's copy magic, and then there was painting mirror magic, magic. Mirror, yeah. Mimic magic. Um, he could In do reverse magic. You know, so he does the opposite element of whoever oh. someone does, but he also still has every access to every type of magic in that way. So with that, he could have access to potentially anything. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a big attack that's coming. Patry is preparing to use it. He will Patry. I don't know if we need to change his name. Uh, and both Nozel and uh, Yami are kind of noticing this, and they think to themselves, that magic. Yeah. So a big attack is coming. I don't know why the devil's running away. Just kill everyone, dude. Like uh, you're the he's devil. gotta he's gotta float away to Hueco Mundo where he will finish his plan for the something. I can understand leaving Asta alive if it's like, well, that guy's gonna turn into a devil, so you know, fine. But it was like you totally outclass all the other guys, just like kill them. Mm-hmm. Whatever. One piece. It's chapter. 937, Yukimaru on Bandit's Bridge. Uh, we see, we cut around to a couple of different things just to recap them, but the primary point of this chapter is the fight between uh, Yukimaru, the guy with all the swords, the giant guy that Zoro was fighting on the bridge, and, you know, Zoro. Um, we get some stuff uh, from this, some information from this guy about Ryuma, the samurai that Zoro defeated or the, or the soul of the samurai that Zoro defeated um, in Thriller Bark in order to get his uh, Shusui. And why, you know, the sword is black is apparently special. Uh, but before we can get too into the fight between them, uh, suddenly we see that uh, Otoko, and um, I believe that's supposed to be... I think that's Otama? No, it's not. I forget who that's supposed to be. Anyway... Uh, they're running away from uh, a new character, uh, a psychotic assassin guy who who fights with a pair of sides named Hitokiri Kamazo. Uh, so Zoro steps in to help them because he sees that they're in trouble. Uh, 
the woman begs him to help and and he's like, well, I hate to see, you know, a child and a woman killed in front of me. So sure, I'll do it if you give me a good meal and a drink. That, yeah, cool guys are up. Yeah. Um, Kamazo is there to kill them on behalf of the Shogun, of course. Uh, they start fighting, and amusingly enough, as they're fighting, Yukimaru keeps on interfering because, like, we were engaged in a duel. <laughs> I'm not going to stop fighting you just because you started fighting someone else. And so I was like, read the room! <laughs> Eventually, this causes a, a really uh, untimely opening, and Zoro takes one of the sides right through his chest. Um, but this ends up actually helping him because he just flexes his muscles so that the guy can't get loose. He forces the guy to get to let go of the scythe and then rips it out and puts it in his mouth so that he can use three sword style and uses his own Ikiri to take the guy out. It is a very sweet, very cool kind of like finisher. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so really awesome moment in, the, in this chapter. Um, I'm glad that we're spending more time following Zoro for right now. And uh, there's some other stuff to take note of, like, uh, you know, little details here and there and the stuff with Luffy and Queen and, you know, Chopper is worried about Big Mom, of course, being with them and stuff. But it's all about just the fight between Zoro, the, the two fights, rather, that Zoro is involved in. So. Yeah, and I think there's also meant to be some kind of significant foreshadowing here to the idea of, like, swordsmen with black blades, like, mm -hmm. that it's potentially something that maybe just after infusing it with so much hockey or so many battles... You know, that's why it, you know, became yeah. black. Slaying so many enemies or something like yeah. that. Mihawk's yeah. blade was notably black. As yeah, well. yeah, so yeah. Th there are some stuff there that I think we're going to get into. It really, this chapter was like really engaging and it reminded me again. I was like, fuck, I kind of really wish we were just following Zoro for a lot more of this arc. <laughs> we're in Samurai Land. Why are we not following Zoro everywhere? Yeah, uh, in full agreement, especially after this chapter. So Dug it a lot. All right, let's name our favorite series and MVPs for this week. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite chapter to Dr. Stone this week, and my MVP I'm going to give to Emma, because I really, really liked how she came across this week. Mm, yes. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite series to The Promised Neverland, uh, because I really like the conversation, the direction the conversation takes and where it seems to be headed. I'm going to give my favorite character to uh, Rinosuke in... Uh, in the last Sayuki, I really like the conversation that he has with Koharu and it makes him seem a lot more likable. And for our audience, they said Dr. Stone was their favorite and Zoro is their character of the week, which makes quite a lot of sense. I can did have a really awesome moment and a cool fight. So, Yep. All right, that's going to do it, guys, for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you guys for the live recording. We had to start late this week because of technical difficulties, but we try and start the show Mondays at about 7.30 Eastern time, uh, 7.30 p.m. Uh, if you want to stay updated on when we're starting and all that stuff, you can follow us on Twitter. Your hosts are at Rolozy and at Nick F. Time. And, of course, the official podcast account is at WMR Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smashcast.tv slash Royalty, Twitch.tv slash Royalty are the streaming platforms. You can find us on YouTube as well as on iTunes and on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com for all of our past episodes. Check those out. Subscribe, comment, rate, all that stuff so you can help out with the algorithm and we can rise to the top of the hobby section defeat the woodworkers. If you would like 
to leave some feedback for us. If you'd like to ask us a question for a future Q&A episode, you can do that by sending us an email to weeklymongerecap at yahoo.com. If you want to make a recommendation, then drop into the Discord server. There is an entire chat dedicated to making recommendations where NinjaX3i also links to a Google Doc where we keep track of all the recommendations. People chime in with their opinions and add in kudos for and all that stuff. And that's also where the the polls and stuff are kept track of uh, for favorite audiences, favorite chapters and all that stuff. Speaking of recommendations, <coughs> a few different people recommended this series. So we are going to try it out. It is called I, I, I've got to look this up because it's a kind of a weird name. in it. It's called Please Don't Bully Me Nagatoro. It's about a high school kid who encounters a, an underclassman at his school who is really hard on him and starts teasing and bullying him. Apparently, it's a romantic comedy because he starts to develop a crush on her despite the way that she mistreats him. So I read one chapter of it. It seems really interesting. So Interesting. All right. Well, I guess that's what we're going to be discussing then. And yeah. uh, we'll talk about that. I actually had to double check. Is next week Golden Week? I don't know. Hold on. Let me double check. I know we're not getting a Dr. Stone chapter until April 7th. Let me just... Double- I think it's just on break, though, because I saw some others saying that they were coming out next week, so... Yeah, let me just double check. Nah, Golden Week's at, Golden Week's at the end of April and uh, beginning okay. of May. So we're just not getting a Dr. Stone next week, then. All right, yeah. cool. So I just want to double check that, then. Uh, I don't know. Do we have anything we want to end off on, Nick? Uh, Any appropriate... Oh, well, we do have to... Theme? I mean, we do have to also thank uh, Infamous Planet and Steve. No, so. Fine. No, Steve Man's great. He, he put together the sexy Yugi image. That's our title card this week. I love it. I don't prompt Steve Man with what to draw. I'm generally just like, you do you, my man. And a lot of times because of his, you know, preference, he'll draw sexy women. Uh, I love that he knew, though, that sexy Yugi was absolutely the way that you had to go about this because i don't know if you know nick but mm-hmm. yami yugi is like you know like april o'neill is kind of like that like the cartoon crush a lot of guys had when they were younger sure yugi is that for women for people who are attracted to men because i cannot tell you the number of women i've put leather pants to. put leather pants on that boy yeah yeah I've, I've spoken to a lot of women and like the question comes up like who was your cartoon crush unprompted I think like five or six women I know have been like, oh, Yami Yugi, like in a heart, like instantaneous where they're like, oh, no, I've been holding on to that one for quite a while. And I'm like, really? And really reevaluate. So you would totally so you would totally pull an Anzu and just like get yourself into trouble just so that you he would come out and save you, huh? And they're like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'd, I'd let a fucking serial maniac blindfold me and hold a gun to my head while he plays this weird lighter <laughs> game with a bottle of liquor. Look, I don't the fucking specifics don't matter. I'll sit in that I'll sit in that Ferris wheel as he plays clock solitaire using all of his his card gaming skill to get me out of there. Anyway. It's gonna do it, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>